welcome to Broadway and Clark, a baseball podcast with two St. Louis Cardinals fans talking about the Cardinals along with other broader baseball topics. I'm your host, Duncan, along with my co-host, Mark. We'll get into the weeds on players, roster construction, baseball philosophy, and the exciting baseball topics of the day. As a great voice in the game, Sarah Lang says, Baseball is the best, so come have a seat with us on the bleachers and have a little fun talking about the best game out there. Uh, yeah, but let's uh, start with just kind of an intro to the podcast. We already had one uh, episode talking about a little perspective and history about uh, where we come from, how we view the Cardinals organization, where the organization has come from with from our fan experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, just generally talking about starting a podcast right now. I mean, what a crazy time to start a podcast uh, with where our organization is now. Um, versus if we decided to start a podcast in 2011, for example. Um, but I think it gives us a lot of opportunities and um, a lot of chances to make this podcast whatever we want it to be and uh, in a direction that's really interesting and um, you know start start our journey with the podcast during this journey of the Cardinals kind of rebuilding, retooling, um, and kind of going on that together. So I think it's going to be exciting. Oh, completely agree. And the Cardinals have helped frame our path forward, at least in the near term, because as we talked about, I think last time, every team's goal is the same to win the world series. And at the beginning of this season, for example, we thought if all the stars aligned, especially in terms of our pitching, we would absolutely have an opportunity to compete with, you know, I don't think the Dodgers are too surprising, uh, nor are the Braves. No. Uh, (laughs) Another team that's been struggling, the Mets and us, uh, and maybe even the Padres might be the other team that. Uh, would be considered pretty big National League disappointments. Yeah, top three most disappointing teams for sure. I, I agree. And so the so for us, I think over the next, I mean, we're really talking now about six or really more like seven months. We're going to try to get to the 2024 spring training with an idea of how 2024 becomes a season where after the disappointment of 23, maybe the Cardinals are now the surprise of the National League Central and the surprise of the National League postseason. So that's that it, it's kind of interesting how the Cardinals situation at the as we start off on this journey, as you put it, is really helping to define how it's going to go for us. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think this could be a really interesting topic for uh, another podcaster uh, or later on uh, another episode potentially. It's just kind of, all right, what does uh, next year look like in terms of um, 
uh, expectations. Uh, is it immediately back to World Series or bust? I think probably in some ways, yes. Uh, or is it like, all right, we have we're kind of somewhat pl- a little bit playing with house money because we were this bad this year uh, in 2023. Is there a little bit of like you said they could be the surprise next year versus you are expected to win the division to get to at minimum the CS or something like that. Well, and that also harkens back to the first episode where we talked about what the Cardinals organization is, or at least what it means to us. And we expect every year to be contending for the world series. But the reality is at the beginning of each season, if you're giving an honest assessment of your team, like it was always going to be a tall, a tall task for this year because of the uncertainty around starting pitching. And essentially we've gotten the worst possible luck around that, or maybe I guess it could have been even worse, but it's, it's been pretty bad, right? I mean, our, our, our legend is hopefully going to limp to the finish line but, I mean, it would not surprise anybody if either the Cardinals or Wayno himself uh, put, put all of ourselves out of the misery of watching this disaster of a season unfold or finish. And it doesn't take anything away, in my mind, from his stellar career. But it, you know, so there's, there's a rotation spot that has provided almost nothing, almost literally nothing. And then tonight, you know, we're recording this on um, Wednesday night, I guess the 16th, and Libator, who, uh, full disclosure, I bought in my fantasy league today, just <laughs> so did we. <laughs> thought I'd catch a little, uh, thought I'd catch a little lightning a in a bottle. <laughs> and after his, after literally six days ago, we had an amazing outing. He not only did he blow up and give up uh, six runs on ten hits, or, or maybe it was five runs. It was horrible, whatever it was, and get the loss today, tonight. But he was also uh, mentioned in another baseball pod as one of the real disappointments of the Cardinals pitching. Not 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 being what the Cardinals thought he was going to be when he was involved in the Rosarena trade. So anyway, that's uh, that has been a uh, you know just a just a killer. I mean, a team cannot survive or thrive without competitive starting pitching at minimum, and you're not going to win if you're not above average. I mean, there's very few teams that have won the World Series with only average starting pitching, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I I think, too, I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, I think we want to touch a little bit on the playoff races and kind of where everything is right now, just across the league generally. And, I mean, tying in your point there about pitching and you can't just have average pitching below average pitching. You have to have very good pitching to be true contenders. And you look at the top teams across the league, Baltimore, a young team, but they're performing so well, particularly their pitching is fantastic. They're very good. Uh, A lot of guys may be overperforming their age, those kinds of things, but they're a very good team pitching-wise. Tampa Bay, three games back. 
of them right now as of today. Phenomenal pitching. They just had Shane McClanahan go down, and I want to say I saw that he needed surgery, or at least he's going on the IL for a bit. But um, no, he's getting Tommy John dunked. That's what I'm I thought. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. He's getting Tommy. No, you're right. Or Tommy John. He's going to miss all of next year. Is what they're saying. Crazy. Yeah. So I mean, huge hit for them as, in terms of their World Series hopes. Because that, I mean, you could have seen him just being a, a huge part uh, of, a, of a playoff run and pitching a couple times a series, that kind of a thing. Um, but great pitching for that team. Twins, AL Central, maybe nearly as bad as the NL Central. Uh, so that's a toss-up anywhere. But Cleveland, a, a perennial pitching powerhouse. With just They just find guys, and they uh, the way that they develop pitchers is crazy and, and, and incredible. Minnesota, they've been a solid team as far as pitching goes. Uh, you look at Texas leading Houston by two and a half games in the West. Texas has great pitchers this year with Ivaldi and DeGrom. Um, Martin Perez hasn't been as good this year. Um, and, you know, Montgomery just went there with Stratton um, as well at the deadline. So, I mean, they have really, really solid, deep pitching uh, as well as Houston. I mean, they're just ridiculous. I don't, I don't know where they find these guys uh, all over the place, kind of like Cleveland. Um, and that's just the AL. Uh, you go to the NL, you got Atlanta. Um, Milwaukee is a pitching first team, I would consider them. Um, and then the Dodgers and uh, and San Francisco's in second there. Uh, but those are all solid pitching teams. Uh, so, I mean, you just look across the board, that's what's going to get you deep into playoffs. Um, you can have good offenses too, but you know who has, you know, decent offenses um, across the league and stuff? You look at, like, Seattle, decent offense, Angels, decent offense. They're 6.5 and, and 11.5 and behind in their division, respectively. So... Offense is only going to take you so far, and we saw that certainly this year. So, yeah, I mean the Cardinals, the Cardinals, one you know one through nine since they ruined the National League and brought in the DH. Um, we uh, did I say that? Yes, I did say that. The the uh, <laughs> they um, they're hitting fine. I mean, you know, we could we could win with the hitting that we've gotten this year. Now, I, I think there's a uh, you know, a knock-on effect, if you will, with when your whole team is going poorly. Our defense has been the worst it's been in probably a decade this year. And, um, you know, even even like our, you know, one of the best defenders in baseball, Arenado's a little bit off. Um, but anyway, the, the, the point of that is, is that you look at, both the Astros and the Rangers, they go out and get Verlander and Scherzer respectively for their for their runs. We, on the other hand, get rid of our two best starters, uh, Flaherty and Montgomery. And I get it. I understand why we did it, and I don't necessarily think either move was wrong. Um, the Flaherty move, that's... We'll, you know, we're going to need to spend maybe during the off season. We'll we'll take 15 minutes and do a Jack Flaherty as a St. Louis Cardinal retrospective because mm. there's there's a lot of meat on that bone. I think. I think so. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that's what we're looking at for the rest of this season, and 
you know, what is the what is the front office going to do in terms of already addressing? You know, Stephen Matz. I don't know how hurt he is. He's hurt way too often. Been hurt too often since we we signed him. Paid him a little bit of money. I mean, you know, we're never probably going to go out and get a true ace free agent. We might get a young ace to be like Flaherty was and, you know, some of the guys before him. But we're not going to go out typically. You know, we, we we were never in the, and not that this year it made sense, but we were never in the Verlander or Scherzer or DeGrom or any of those Cole or any of those sweepstakes, right? But, you know, uh, Bueller and Ryu and, I mean, I, you know, over the last half a dozen years, one of the reasons the Dodgers have been right there, obviously we talked about how they're able to spend so much money, but the fact is that they have found young stud starting pitchers, right, Dustin May. And, you know, and so when, when those guys who – because no pitcher starts his career amazing. There's only so many Clayton Kershaws. There's only so many, you know, Tom Seavers, if you want to go back that far. There's only so many guys that start their career and then are consistently outstanding year in, year out for 12, 15, whatever years. So, you know, in today's modern game, you almost have to have six or seven guys that you can give the ball to you know, somewhat regularly. I mean, there's, you know, the, the seventh guy is not going to be as good as your ace, but the seventh guy can't be a guy that you're, you know, you're, you got your hand over your eyes afraid to look every time he throws, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, right. So that's like Libertor. I'm, I, I actually don't mind that he got blown up again today. I'd love to know why, and I'd love to see some analysis on what happened. Uh, in fairness, I didn't watch it. I mean, we're playing the A's. We beat them the last two nights. Now we, I mean, we're, you know, we, we, we went two and one. And what did we lose? Two out of three the, was the Royals over the weekend, right? I think so, we only played yeah. a couple. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're going to probably go somewhere. And we'll probably even play a few games over 500 against the, you know, the KC's and the Oakland's and teams like that because they're the worst teams in the league. But we yeah. have no. I mean, yeah, we, we only played. Three. Go ahead. I was to say we only played two against Kansas City because we had that weird off day on Sunday. Oh, that's uh, right. We yeah, split. We, we split them. Yeah, that's right. Good call. Yeah, that whole Sunday we, you and I actually talked about that offline. How does I don't I'm not a hundred percent certain <laughs> what that was all about. It it may be a leftover from the London series, um, and and nowadays what's which is something I wanted to ask you about. Do you have any feelings about the balance schedule? How do you how do you think it's been going? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, um, historically, for like you know, baseball is such a historical sport um, in terms of like it, it reveres its history and uh, really respects that. Um, very interesting because it is turning away from that in a way. Um, but I like it generally. Um, I think it's good uh, as far as growing the game goes in terms of you get to see players that you don't ever get to see. I mean, you think previously, however many years, you know, just think about the last decade or so. How many times did we get to see Mike Trout? How many times did we get to see 
uh, Aaron Judge, I mean, recently he was really come on strong, but like previous to that, any of the really big names, uh, you know, when the Blue Jays were um, uh, in deep in the playoffs with Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion and all of that, how many times did we get to see those teams? Hardly at all. Uh, so I think in that respect, it's really good and helps grow the game. Um, like you get, we got to see, you know, Shohei Otani and uh, that kind of thing. I, he's a spectacle uh, for the entire league to see, and I think it's good in that regard. I think it does also, in a way, help to be a better measuring stick of yourself as a team uh, and where how you're going to perform maybe in the playoffs. Uh, versus particularly us in a weaker central. And I think that's been generally historically accurate, maybe with the exception of a couple years uh, where the Dodgers were just running away in the West and all the other West teams were kind of kicking the can down the road, um, waiting for their proverbial window to open. Um, And the West was pretty weak. But, you know, us being in a weak central division – it doesn't do us in a way it doesn't do us any favors beating up on uh, the other four teams in the league or in the the division excuse me um and then we get to the playoffs and we get run through uh like for example in 19 when we ran into the nationals and it was like oh yeah uh we need a little bit better offense we need to be able to hit a little bit better we need some better pitching uh those kinds of things but you don't see that during the year when you're playing the pirates when they were really really bad the reds when they were really bad uh, all of that when you're playing them however many times a year i got a kick out of the uh realignment uh, proposals that were going around i think the most popular one uh based on geography right and the most popular mm-hmm. one had us and the cubbies no longer being in the same division and which, of course, was blasphemy. So I can't imagine <laughs> that happening. But we've seen it. We've seen it in the NHL. We've seen it in the NFL. And we've seen it in the NBA. And the, the, the other three major professional sports in the country have, you know, over the last generation have all realigned, uh, not always to, uh, you know, with geography in mind you know cowboys in the east and so on but the fact is is that we we did enjoy many years of being able to beat up on the rest of the central and get into the playoffs most of those years we were still competitive in the playoffs but but you're right i mean there's no doubt about it we got to see miggy um, in his last season, come into Bush, that was in a you know in a game between two teams that were already going nowhere when it happened. Uh, it was exciting to see you know a legend, a Hall of Famer, um, you know come and and make a visit with, where we otherwise wouldn't have. Now with the balanced schedule, every single, I believe it's, isn't it every team in the league comes to your house at least once, even if it's only for like a two-game or three-game set? I don't know if it's they come to your home, but you play every team at least once, I believe. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. I think it's every other year 
you have a home series against every other team in the league. I think that'll be interesting to look at next year uh, in terms of whenever that schedule comes out and what teams we're hosting versus a team that we're going to their place for that one series that season and how that could impact it. I mean, every year we know we're going to play the central teams a little bit more. It's not completely balanced, but it's as close to even as it's ever been. And maybe we will get to the point where, especially if the playoffs continue to expand, I, you know, when you, when you talk about the, uh, uh, the history of the game and how we view it, you know, at one point, they went from 154 to 162 games and probably for, I guess, what was that, 1960 or 61, whatever it was, for at least the next decade and a half, everybody was wringing their hands and saying, oh, these records, these season records don't mean anything. And they used to have to put an asterisk and say this was in 154 game season versus 162. Nobody cares about that anymore. And, and, you know, because if somebody hits, I don't know, 61 homers uh, and ties Maris, well, now that's what? That's the fifth or sixth best season? You could argue that all the ones above it, with maybe the exception of Judge, were steroid-induced, but that's a fraught topic that, I just don't think it's very interesting anymore. However, the fact is, is that, you know, the game's going to evolve and it's going to change. I am a proponent of reducing the total number of games in a season, especially with the mod, the way the modern games played with pitchers going max. You know, when Gibby was throwing 8.1 innings on average per start for an entire season, and starting 33 or 34 games. It was a different league. It was a different time. And it's just, you know, it's not done anymore. I mean, the reason he was, you know, as good as anybody else in his era was that he had that ability to throw that often. But one of the best pitchers in history, uh, Steve Carlton, lefty, who uh, Gussie Bush famously got rid of like an idiot, that uh, he he almost lost his career in the beginning because he suffered some arm trouble, you know, by being overused. And so, of course, now we the pendulum swung the other way, and we're we're really um, uh, we're really have overcompensated in some respects. But the uh, but the. The fact of the matter is, is that in the modern game, pitchers pitch almost max, you know, all the time or close to it. You got guys throwing 105 regularly and or whatever, 103. And it's, it just doesn't make sense. What is the benefit of those additional 10 games or, you know, whatever number makes sense? Like, why not 150? If there's 30 teams and you're playing 150 games, I guess if it was 29 teams and you're playing 150 games, you know, or, or whatever the, the the right multiple would be. I apologize, my my mental math, which is usually mental math, unfailing, <laughs> is not there for me at the moment. 
But the bottom line is you play everybody six times or something like that. Or maybe you do play your division. If you want the division, it continue to matter. But if we're going to say, say we're going to go to uh, seven or eight teams per league in the playoffs. I mean, eight would be, would probably make the most sense, right? Have three rounds on each side and then the World Series. You could do a three, five, and seven gamer. You could do... You know, a three and two fives, a three and two sevens. I really don't care how that goes. Um, and I don't have any problem with that first round being only three games. Everybody, oh, that doesn't seem fair. Well, we what did we have, a decade or a decade and a half of the single elimination game? So, those were some of the most exciting games in the last 15 years, right? And so... The game's going to evolve. It's going to continue to change. And I think it's reasonable to expect that and to be okay with it because some of the big stats, the career stats, we just had a player hit over 700 home runs. Now, when's the next time that's going to happen? It could be a while. And, you know, it's fair to say it may never happen. But I don't believe that. I believe there's going to be an 800 home run hitter someday. We just don't know who that player is, right? And that's what is one of the things. I mean, we're still going to play all summer, you know, but what's wrong with starting on April 15th and ending on September 15th so we're not playing the World Series in the snow? At least that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points and everything. I mean, you're talking about the changes and why this number of games versus 162. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing, or the the thing that pops out to me initially, is dollar signs. I think that's a huge influence uh, for sure for owners and and uh, sponsors and all of those kinds of things. Um, but I think that brings up a really great point, and I would love to do this. Maybe maybe just a little teaser for uh, a future episode or a topic or something like that. But I think this would be really great to dig into um, in terms of you know why is it the way that it is now? Why can't it be something different? Um, I've I've heard similar discussions. We're both fans of of the the old footy, um, uh, little soccer across the pond. Um, I've heard a lot of discussions about, you know, changing the penalty area size and uh, so that, that it properly reflects uh, a reward for a foul um, based on how likely you are to score a goal from that that spot. Or why is the uh, the goal this height and this width as players have grown bigger and taller and stronger? Uh, over the years versus when they first created the those sizes you know 120 years ago for example and just things are different and people want to keep it the same because that's how it's always been but why why does it need to be that why can't it be something different is there any other reason other than well we just we want to keep it that way because that's how they said it initially and baseball is a romantic sport so i understand that uh side of it too um and then you know there's the the romanticism of um, uh, like the Ken Burns documentary, and you hear uh, uh, Bob Costas talk about you know the the magic of ninety feet being the perfect distance, and how many bang bang plays there are at first base, and you know what if they made it eighty five feet, they wouldn't be the same, um, and you wouldn't have those plays, and there's just there's some kind of uh, 
um, uh, just some magic about those numbers and, and why it is the way it is. But things have changed throughout the decades. You know, the the pitcher's mound changing. There's been uh, experiments with changing other things. Obviously, you have the, the changes in the base sizes this year and the pitch clock and um, they've done a little bit of experimenting down in the Atlantic League of, you know, even moving the mound back six inches and um, a couple of things like that. Uh, obviously, things are going to come and go. Things succeed and they fail. Um, so I think that would be a really in- interesting topic uh, to really dive in later and everything as well. Uh, I did pull up as well while you were talking about home run leaders. Uh, you are talking about Albert um, getting over 700, ending at 703. Um, you're talking about when's that going to happen again? Uh, who do you think the next highest active, or I guess Albert's not active anymore, but uh, who's the highest now active uh, home run leader right now? What, what would you say? And where do you think they rank? <sighs> Um, Joey Votto, I don't know. Uh, don't, he's not that really that big of a home run hitter, though. I mean, Judge, not Judge, he hasn't played enough, but I'm drawing a blank. Help me out. I'll say the two two leading guys right now uh, for home runs that are active are old guys right now. Miguel Cabrera, ranked 26 at 509. And then Nelly Cruz ranked thirty-seven at four sixty-four. All right. And then Nelly. the next guy that, yeah, the next guy that's actually young, uh, that could actually significantly add to those numbers. Uh, you got Giancarlo Stanton down at sixty-one with three hundred ninety-six, and Mike Trout at eighty-four with three sixty-eight. So it's gonna be a long time before somebody gets anywhere near those those numbers again which is kind of crazy and the only like for example you're trout you're talking about 35 or whatever it is 33 homers a year for the next 10 years average he's not playing 10 he'll be lucky to play five more years right yeah and uh stanton i mean the next time he's not hurt will be the first time right so it's amazing he's got that many. God bless him. You know, he's 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 a great power hitter. But, right, when you look at the young, consistent 40 homer guys, there's, you know, I mean, you have to hit 40 home runs for 15 years to get to 600. And nobody averages 40 a year. You know, <laughs> that's if, that's if absolutely name, insane to think about. <laughs> if your name's not Hank Aaron, you don't average 40 home runs a year, period. So, I mean, even even Birdo, you know, I forget what he had. I mean, I think he finished his career right around, you know, 33, 34 a year. And he's one of the best home run hitters of all time. So that's that's what makes the lifetime stats so significant. And I don't think if you knock off 10 or 12 or 15 games a year from the schedule, do we lose the potential for the greats? Because the fact is, every one of those greats, with, again, maybe the exception of Aaron, missed time. You know, they all have, I mean, Albert, the whole second half of his career, arguably, you know, he's playing on bad wheels. And uh, I think he, what he had, did he have 400 when he left? I think he hit his 400th right when he joined the Angels. And so... 
you know, that's, that's, I don't think it precludes a future great because if you play 150 games a year and you're so good, which somebody will be, that they hit 50 homers a year in, in 150 games, then there's going to be a, a, a superstar and he'll, he'll be considered one of the best ever and definitely the best home run hitter ever who for 16 seasons will average 50 home runs and hit 800 in his career. I mean, O did it. O did it in Japan. Uh, but, you know, we haven't had it yet here, but, I mean, Bonds got close. So, I, I, you know, you, another thing that's changed in the modern game is, and it's, it's more prevalent in a couple of the other sports, especially basketball, which I think basketball and hockey would be similar to baseball in terms of how often they play based on the effort required to play at the professional level, right? So in the NFL, the NFL is unique. It's a unique sport um, that's played a different way. I mean, you know, you can some, – some guys last barely three years because you're literally taking 250-plus pound men and running them at each other as fast as they can, and they're all freak athletes. And still, many of those guys – you know, can barely last a couple years in the league. But in sports where there's plenty of injury, there's plenty of injury in baseball, there's plenty of injury in basketball and hockey, it's, you know, it's much just, it's much more about the best athletes, the best, with the best particular skills required for those sports uh, to perform consistently over, over you know, a, a career. Uh, which leads us to, you know, so when, so when you see a Miggy, you know, who's diminished, I mean, he's, you know, he's no longer even close to the here he was at his prime, but when you see him come into town, it's a, it's a real treat, you know, to see how the fans react, to see how his teammates treat him. Uh, you know, I mean, we all remember Bartolo Colon, you know, running down to first, beating out the hit. I mean, that kind of stuff. So the, the, the fact is, is that in these other sports, especially basketball has been the, the leader so far, but I think it'll happen in hockey. And I think, and it probably does happen. I, I'm not as well versed on the day-to-day uh, NHL, you know, in the modern era, but um, rest becomes so key. Right. And, 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 and I don't think we have nearly enough data to be able to, assess how that helps or doesn't help, you know, is only a marginal help to careers. Right. And so uh, in the NBA, you know, the problem that they face is it's, and this might be a small issue in baseball, but I think it's always going to be a lesser issue in baseball because of the total number of games but in the NBA, if a team's coming to your city once in a season, and especially with much smaller, you know, it's a five-man team. So if your superstar decides that his rest day or the team decides that his rest day is going to be the day he's coming to your town for the only time of the year, that becomes problematic from a sport, you know, especially from getting people in the seats, which we could talk about how much that matters or not. 
in the future because the economics of, of all the professional sports now are driven by the, the live broadcast of those sports. And so that future looks like, I mean, the, the money, the money they're talking about, I think they're talking about maybe 8 billion for the rights uh, for the NBA coming up. Uh, who knows what, I forget what the deal baseball's on. Baseball hasn't been the best at negotiating that. Uh, possibly because it is, you know, it's, there's so, there are so many games that it's hard to properly value and, each one, right? And baseball so, is such a regional sport, too. It's a big I part. Mean, to, I, I mean, I, I can we imagine. say that, except once we get to the playoffs, everybody cares. Yeah. I mean, how much did any of us know about the Phillies last year before the playoffs? I mean, we all know. Everybody knows Harper. Everybody knows, you know, the, the stars. But how much did you know about Bohm? Or how much did you is – Bohm, isn't he the guy that – he plays on the Phillies, right? Um, yep, he's a uh, third baseman. Yeah, the young kid, right? Um, how did mm-hmm. – you know, all those guys that you just don't – you just don't see. You know, you just – unless you really follow it closely, which – we know is only going to be that core, what, 30 to maybe 35% of the fans, one in three, something like that. It's that mm-hmm. last 30 to 40% that are casuals, right? They like their hometown team. That's where it gets that regional designation because there's 162. But guess what? Every major league ballpark today wants – the experience, the fan experience at the ball yard to include a lot. I mean, I remember when for 15 cents you got a scorecard and a pencil and, you know, you could buy a hot dog for a dollar and a Coke for a dollar fifty or whatever the, whatever the prices were when I was a kid. And that was the extent of the fan experience, except for you got to see the best players in the world doing a sport that you loved, right, that you thought you could play when you were eight years old or nine years old, you know, on the little league field. So that is not going to change. That's only going to grow more and more and more. They're going to, it's going to be more targeted, you know, dynamic pricing has allowed stadiums to, you know, sell more tickets. So I don't think any of that's going to change. Uh, The fact of the matter is many of the professional stadiums have pretty sad, attendance percentages if you look at capacity versus how many people are in the ball yard which is one of the reasons the cardinals have been so successful because they do traditionally get close to selling it out but we took when, when they went from bush stadium two to three what did we lose Ten thousand, twelve thousand seats whatever and maybe not quite that many maybe it was more like six or eight but it was a lot i mean it's a lot of dollars you take you take eight you know eight thousand seats over 80 dates that's a lot of money, but they didn't even blink an eye because they said we're going to make it a better experience. Every seat's going to be a little more valuable in terms of where you're sitting. We're going to find ways to sell the seats that wouldn't otherwise sell because you can still go to a ball game in the middle of August, you know, for five or six bucks if you're playing another bottom feeder like we happen to be this year. I mean, I think in September this year, they're probably going to be giving away the seats. They'll be saying, here, we'll, we'll pay you five bucks to come watch the Cardinals play. And um, did you see the other Sunday? I think it was, what did we play? Was that the Royals too? We, we, were, playing the, uh, we were playing whoever it was on a Sunday. 
and some somebody on Twitter made the comment. I, I can't remember the last time the uh, a Sunday afternoon game was was there were these this few people in the stands. So I think all those are factors. I think yeah, it might have been the rocks. I th- you know th- I think all those are going to be factors. But how we how they move forward on rest is 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 going to be. But but maybe if we you know just to kind of put a bow on this topic of you know how long the season is because we can and and I think we should do that in the off season. I think we should break down because I really want to talk about the shift. Um, I think we have to wait for the whole season to play out to figure what we, you know, kind of what the final decision and maybe, maybe even multiple seasons to determine how we feel about the pitch clock. I mean, it, you know, just coming out of the gate, super popular, super popular among the fans. Uh, the players, I feel like they adjusted to it really quickly. There's always a few whack jobs that have trouble, but for the most part, they've all adjusted to it. Um, but I, you know, I think we need to spend a lot of time on that. But uh, to put a bow on the whole thing, instead of you know, if if we look at rest, uh, instead of it being you know, are we going to rest Arenado on a you know, on a three-game swing, are we going to rest him, you know, once or twice in Denver? You know, maybe we knock 12 or 15 games off the schedule, whatever makes sense, balance the schedule out even a little bit more. You know, say say MLB expands by two teams. That would get us to th- – we're at 30 right now, right? So we can go to 32, 16 in a league, Eight teams from each league make the playoffs. You know, I mean, all these are, I mean, that's all pretty radical stuff. But if you would have told a, you know, 2012 graduate from USC that, you know, their alma mater was going to be in the Big Ten and their the conference they cheered for wasn't even going to exist in a decade or whatever it is, uh, they would have told you you're crazy, right? So I think, I think that, I think one possible way to address the rest issue, and it, because it's not going to get less, it's only going to get more Duncan, right? I mean, there, there's no way that the modern athlete is going to say, let me push myself harder. You know, they're talking about Shohei shutting it down, and we'll talk more about that in the next, you know, if we don't get to it this episode, I think next episode, we have to address it for a few minutes. He's skipping his start this week. Um, you know, the guy's on pace to to get a somewhere between $500 and $600 million contract. His team, despite maybe it was too little too late, I mean, there's I'm sure there's plenty of blame to go around. His team's probably not making the playoffs. So, no, definitely not. Am I going to expect him to go 100% in September of 2023 right before he signs the biggest contract in the history of the sport for the most exciting player in the game? Yeah, when yeah. he's staring down $600 million. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying the guy, I'm not saying the guy doesn't take another at bat the rest of the year, but if he only plays three out of four or four out of five games, maybe only makes three or four more starts, you know, maybe starts once a week, 
once every week and a half, you know, every other start, something like whatever it is. I think one solution that might help with this whole issue is we shorten the schedule, make every game a little bit more important. Because I guarantee you, if they if they knock a certain number of games off the schedule, all that's going to do is tighten the races. All that's going to do is mean that if there's eight teams on in each league, virtually half the teams are going to make the playoffs. Even if those last two teams, you figure out a way for the seventh and eighth team to only get a game or a three-game series against a arguably – you know, superior opponent. And so most of the time they won't win that, which is how I think it should be. I mean, you don't want the NHL where I think it was 1991 or something, the blues win the president's trophy, most, most points in the league. And then they lose in seven to the penguins in the first round back before the penguins were the penguins, you know, that they've been for the last 20 years or so. So anyway, that's, that's, that's kind of my thought on that. Yeah, no, I think uh, that'll be a really interesting uh, topic to get into. And then also I think that kind of leads into uh, another thing that would be really interesting. You talked about Shohei resting and uh, what that might look like for the rest of his season. Also for us uh, with the with the Birds, what do we do with our guys? For example, Arenado and Goldie, I think they're the two biggest that this applies to the most. They're uh, older guys. Um, over over thirty years old, each of them, uh, in a season that uh, is not going anywhere right now, other than just preparing for next year. What do you do uh, with their playing time for the rest of the year? Uh, I think it makes sense to let them rest, maybe a little bit more than they usually do, just to uh, get them off their feet a little bit. But at the same time, uh, I mean, if you if you really want to do that, then I'd say, all right. You go up to Nolan Arenado and tell him he's not going in the game and playing, because good luck to whoever wants to tell him that, because he's gonna want to play every single game, every single inning, if he possibly can. Uh, so I think it's a really interesting balance that you have to strike uh, to be able to rest those guys to really prepare for next year, and also providing opportunities for maybe younger guys you want to get a look at, uh, while still. Uh, keeping your uh, older guys like Goldie and Arnado still in somewhat of a rhythm so that they're not just sitting on the bench for, you know, nine months. They basically have a nine-month offseason, or not, not nine months, but uh, like a six-month offseason or something like that uh, until they come into spring training. And you don't, you don't want that either. So it'll be really interesting uh, to see how that works and uh, kind of leads into kind of one, one of the things I want to talk about looking into this uh, remainder of the season in the second half of uh, what players do you want to really get a look at uh, for the rest of this year? Who do you think would be interesting to, to let them get a little bit of run uh, to see what they have before we get into next year? What are you kind of thinking with players? Well, you caught me with my mouth, Paul, but um, obviously Mason I can wins. go first. Yeah, please do. <laughs> please do. <laughs> no good. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, like you said, obviously Mason win. I think that makes sense. I uh, imagine they are waiting until he 
reaches. I think it's around the 19th is the uh, time that he would be able to come up while still uh, remaining under the threshold for number of at-bats and number of days at the big leagues uh, to maintain his rookie status for next year. Uh, There was a new... Uh, I believe it was like a clause or something in the CBA that they agreed upon. What would that have been last year? Uh, the Players Association and the league uh, agreeing in the CBA that uh, just as an incentive to avoid teams being able to uh, manipulate service time and things and wait to call up players now that if uh, a player is called up and they're on the, the roster, I believe it's all all year and they also finish so high in the rookie of the year award or they hit other benchmarks like that plus they're uh, a special designation of one of the top prospects that if all those things are met then the team uh, will then get a draft pick an additional draft pick on top of that so an additional incentive for teams to uh, call up their higher higher ranked prospects uh earlier versus you know the classic all right we're gonna wait until two weeks into the season and then call up this guy um so then we get an extra year of service time out of him which is famously what happened to chris bryant and he had the uh, uh, grievance that he filed uh against the cubs for that uh which was really interesting but i think that uh is what the cardinals are waiting for right now Uh, for Mason Wynn uh, to be able to call him up. But that should be sooner rather than later since today's the 16th, and uh, that should be coming up shortly. So maybe even by next week we'll see him up and be able to see what he can do for the rest of the year. And I think that's exactly what they were thinking too with uh, moving Paul DeYoung on to to Toronto uh, to be able to open up that uh, shortstop position, particularly as well with Brendan Donovan uh, having surgery and not being able to play for the uh for the rest of the year i believe it's going to be for the rest of the year now so a perfect opportunity for mason wind to be able to see what he can do and showcase that and kind of like what i briefly touched on last episode of kind of getting those uh rookie jitters i guess you could say uh out like jordan win or jordan win and jordan walker had to at the beginning of the year and they sent him down for a little bit take care of all, all of that this year uh in the last month and a half or so so then when you come into spring training, you got all those jitters out, you feel comfortable. You know what it's like coming to the stadium every day. And then you don't have to think about those things. You can just go out and play because you're a good player and you can just go out and do your thing and uh, just focus on that. So I'm really excited to see him first. Um, I think some of the other guys I think would be uh, really interesting. Obviously, our top prospects, and this is part of us rebuilding our farm system through these trades at the deadline but our top prospects are a little bit lower in uh, our minor leagues tink hence would be the next uh top prospect he's our second ranked top prospect right now uh i believe he's in double a uh right now with the springfield cardinals been doing okay uh over the the remaining remainder of this year i think he just got called up at the beginning of july to double a from high a in peoria Uh, so he is a little bit lower in the uh, minor leagues i doubt that he would have a chance of being called up i think they'll probably get a look at him in spring training see what he can do something like that maybe he could make a jump but they might start at like triple a next year but i doubt he would get any time i would love to see what he could do 
but I just don't necessarily see that happening. Um, so he's our second-ranked prospect. Third guy, Chase Davis, just drafted him. Uh, so obviously he's not doing anything there. Uh, Victor Scott, there's been a lot of talk on him. I don't know if you've heard uh, much, if anything, about him at all. A little speedster. I believe he is in uh, A as well. Let me just double-check. He is, yeah. So he did, did the same thing that uh, Tink Hentz did, just came up to A. Uh, only had 37 games so far at double-A, so he's still got a little ways to go, but he's hitting 309 uh, with a 382 slug, uh, so 743 on base, or excuse me, 7, 743 uh, OPS uh, right now. And so he's a speedster, though, going to be a on-base guy and, uh, and a, a stolen base guy, so... Uh, that should be interesting to see what he can do in the next maybe year and a half. Uh, maybe look to see him in uh, spring training, but probably not the rest of this year. But, I mean, other than that, I would say maybe looking at some pitching options and just seeing what you have at the minor league level. Um, I think it would be really interesting. I I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I think this would be really fun from a storyline uh, perspective. You know, last year we had the storylines of um, – we had the storylines of Albert and Yachty um, and all of that kind of Albert coming full circle and, and retiring with us uh, where he started. I think that'd be really interesting to see kind of what could happen with Wayno. Uh, obviously, he struggled a lot trying to get to the 200 wins is the big storyline for him this year. And he struggled a lot this year. Uh, but I think it could be a really interesting storyline to see him maybe go back to the bullpen where he started back in. Uh, the run in 2006, you know, buckling Carlos Beltran's knees in New York uh, for the Mets. Uh, maybe he could do some some good things in the in the pen, sneak a couple W's uh, that way to get to 200. Uh, but kind of could be a an interesting way for him to finish his career, kind of come full circle as well. Uh, and maybe that would open up some opportunities uh for starting pitchers too if you want to get a look at maybe gordon graceffo michael mcgreevy if you want to just pull them up here and just see what they can do um i mean you got liberatory you're giving starts to you're giving starts to uh dakota hudson now a little bit more consistently who's looked better uh you're giving starts to zach thompson obviously you want to keep miles um getting his starts keeping getting his work in still um Mats as well. I think he actually just went on the IL too, so he we got a little bit of space there as well. But I think some of those guys would be really interesting to see as well, McGreevy and Graceffo, just to see what they can do. I mean, I think spring training is a great time to get a good look at guys, but why not do it now? This is kind of what we talked about uh, last episode a little bit, and just why not? Just see what he has and let him go out there and there's less pressure on that individual game to come out with a result. Uh, there's still pressure for the player in terms of they want to show well, so then they uh, look good and they set themselves uh, on the right direction to be able to be on the big squad for next year. Uh, but there's less pressure on that individual game in terms of this season's results um, that it allows the players to be a little bit more free uh, and able to to go out and pitch. I mean, Graceffo, looking at him, he's in AAA right now. He's got a 4.87 ERA. Not phenomenal, but also 
you don't know. I, I'd have to read some reports on him because there's <laughs> a lot of minor league stuff there's not a ton of information on in terms of uh, players and a lot of game log stuff and, and how uh, a lot of narrative, I should I should kind of describe it that way. There's not a lot of narrative on players and, and the directions that they're going. So I think there could be some that's kind of some things that are kind of uh, hiding within the stats uh, that we don't see all the time. Maybe a guy's going out and he's trying to work on his slider for one game. And obviously you want to show good results and get good stats and, and things like that. And that's going to, it's going to bear out in the stats if you do pitch well. But um, I, they talk about that a lot at spring training where you can't really, you can't really look at spring training stats and extrapolate onto a season and say, this is what this guy's going to do all year. Because I think Joey Votto famously talks about, he hardly swings at all and maybe doesn't swing at all uh, in spring training because he just goes up and he's just trying to get his timing out, timing down. And he's like, I'm not going to swing. I'm just trying to get my foot down and the right timing and everything so that I can be ready to hit when the season rolls around. So maybe guys are working on stuff like that in the minors and say, I want to you know, throw – you know, 50%, not 50%, maybe a 40% slider uh, instead of 25, something like that. We want to work that a little bit more. Maybe I need to work on my two seam, whatever. Um, so some of those things might be hiding within the stats there, but I think that could be interesting to see what he could do uh, in the bigs and maybe just let him let him get out there and, and get a little run uh, and see what he can do. Um, so yeah, those are my two guys for pitchers that I want to see. Yeah, no, those those are great, and and at minimum, I think it's got to be McGreevy and Graceffo and uh, the guys we got in trade. I don't know if any of them are ready to get a uh, any any uh, innings or you know for the batters any at bats in the bigs yet. Uh, what is his name? Robercy or whatever that guy's name is. He apparently has been doing Robertson. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the he, we, he's one of the ones we got from the Rangers, isn't he? And um, uh, other way around, he was the Blue Jays guy. We got Takoa Roby from the Rangers. Okay, right. Okay. Um, Which so, he's he's injured and is doing a little rehab, so we're not going to see him. But he's like our fifth ranked prospect now, fifth or sixth. Uh, so he's he's right up there and, and looking to be good. But I think he ended a double A with the Rangers right now until when he got hurt. Right, and with pitching, pitching can make the leap from double A to the majors all the time. Did you hear about Skeens? You hear what he did? I think it was last night. You know, he was. I didn't see the stats. I saw he was debuting. Yeah, he. Um, He's in high A. Had a clean. Well, I don't know how clean the inning was. He didn't. I don't know if he gave up any hits. I know he didn't give up any runs. He only threw sixteen pitches, eleven of them for strikes. Struck out two guys in his in his one inning of work. Uh, hit a hundred, I think, on the gun. So you know, I mean, obviously, number one pick in the draft. Uh, when that's a pitcher. Even that's a little shaky, but I feel like in the modern era with, uh, you know, especially with college pitchers, they're really, you know, at the highest level of NCAA, that's that's probably between AA and AAA, right? Um, and so, you know, he's, they start him in high single A. He may dominate and, you know, for however many more times he's going to throw. Which is the other point I was thinking about while you were talking. 
about the uh, minor league guys is that spring or uh, Memphis's season's going to be over before we know it, right? And yeah. you know, I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a difference of about three weeks. So any any player that we think may you know may in the next you know next season, whether it's you know the first game of the season or even a mid-season call-up or whatever, let's get them up here and get them some at-bats. Let's get them up here and get them some innings. I don't have to bring up uh, Graceffo and he's got to take the ball every five days. If he gets three starts in September or two starts in September, that's fine. It's all about being in the clubhouse. It's all about getting on the plane. It's all about the experience of being a big league ball player. It's all about seeing Goldie get dressed down at his locker and having a conversation with Contreras or Kisner, you know, before the game, watching the next starting pitcher go through his routine. That's what I want for these young guys. And I want them to be able to display and showcase a little bit of their stuff because those are your best assets whether to you know eventually join the big club or to be traded and you know there's there's no other re- in September of 23 other than to try to respect the fans and give them a, a competitive product there's no other reason to 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 play the game the way you play it the other 5 months of the year i mean i know we're not used to being in this position but I, I just think that is important to point out. So every one of the guys you mentioned, I think, should get some time. I mean, obviously, with uh, Baker, with Modder, um, uh, all those guys are getting time, right? And every season, I mean, if you look at every, even the World Series winning teams, you go back and look at the, you know, the guys from, you know, you got your core six or whatever, the Goldies and the Arnados that want to play 150 plus games a year and can and do and are your stars. There's another, there's a group that of about 10 or 12 guys most seasons that make up the rest of your roster, right? That, you know, there's a guy that you have for two months and then he gets hurt. You know, there's, there's there's the young kid that comes up. So, you know, Mason Wynn, I bring him up, he gets he starts every day until unless he just goes on a oh forever, you know, and he just can't hit oh, the ball. I don't, I don't even mind if he if if he goes on an O for thirty, I don't care. But well, I think you're right though, you don't want to crush him. Yeah, you yeah, you just you you just have to manage his like you know, you don't want the kid to lose his confidence if if it, if he's really going. But I don't think that's going to happen. He's ready to play, and he's a big leaguer, right? He, he, he has nothing more to prove in the minor leagues. Now, some of these other guys are still developing, and you know, especially for the pitchers, they you know they could be a little, they could get crushed a little bit. Uh, who was the guy for the? I think it was the Pirates just last week. The guy comes up. No, maybe it was the Tigers. The guy comes up. The first two batters he faces, first pitch, homer, homer. That's his first two pitches in the big leagues. But he settled down. I think he wound up going like four, three and two thirds, whatever it was. Might have given up another run or two. 
but they were kind of joking. I was when I was listening to some you know comment about it. Uh, they were kind of joking about well, a hell of a way to start your career, you know. But the guy's never going to forget it. And if he didn't have the stuff, if they didn't think he had the stuff to pitch at the big league level, they would have never brought him up. You know, I mean, we're not just flipping coins here. We got guys that are very close. Or maybe, maybe if we're not like you know, I mean, we're we're always going to be as conservative as our club will allow us to be, right? If we've got a Hall of Famer at every edition, guess what? That guy in the minors could be the next Hall of Famer. He's still not coming up. You know, we're trying to trade him and get as much as we can for the asset. So I say, bring him up, play him a ton. Let's see what we got. And as far as Goldie and our, first of all, I don't know if that's true about Arenado. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you were 100% accurate. But if you go to your 35-year-old first baseman, your 32-year-old third baseman, and say to him, hey, guys, we're going to give you two days off a week the rest of the season, they might be like, cool, you know. Or how about it's the bottom of the ninth, we're down a run, and we decide to pinch hit Goldie and Arenado back-to-back. That's pretty cool. So if I'm a fan at the stadium, and it's a close game, and it's the you know bottom of the seventh, and you know Motter just grounded into a double play when we had you know first and third with uh, one out or something, you know, whatever. I'm just making it up. Uh you know, maybe I stick around because I'm like, hey, we got Goldie and Nato on the bench. We got a shot. Um, and, you know, maybe that's how you entertain the fans, you know, for the rest of the season. And, of course, you you know, I think there's a, an accountability factor for the club where, they're, where they say, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, we're coming out here. We're trying to see what we have. We know this season was a disappointment. We apologize to our fans. We expect more from ourselves. We expect more, you know, from, uh, from our performance, but, uh, this is, this is what we're going to do the rest of the 23 season. It's not a normal September. We're not going 17 and 0. I'm sorry. It's just not going to, we don't have it. We don't have the horses, especially in starting pitching. And you, you and I are going to spend a lot of time over the winter, you know, I mean, because, you know, Mo, oh, you know, we won't hear boo before the GM meetings. And those are usually, what, the first week of December, something like that. And then right around there, there'll be a bunch of buzz about that. And then typical Mo, he'll go in there and probably do nothing. Uh, but, you know, he's doing he's gathering information. He's talking to, you know, other GMs. They're figuring out what's available and, you know, I'm sure they're putting together, you know, him and Gersh and all the other guys involved are putting together a plan for how they're going to get a professional pitching staff for 2024. Because they, I mean, they punted on the pitching staff and they did it, you know, I mean, once the trade deadline hit and we got rid of Monty and, and Flaherty, which was, which were the right moves relative to, you know, the, from a, a roster building perspective and control of players and stuff like that. You can't let free agents walk and get nothing from them. They've been putting that plan together, but, but let's not try to shine over it or, or act like that was a one day deal. That's a six, eight month process. And so that's why I say, let's have fun in September. Let's get these young guys up here 
and see what we got. And, and you know, again, you got to respect Goldie. You got to respect Nato. You got to talk to him and say, what do you guys think? You know, we're going to play Walker every day. We're going to play, you know, now Tommy's back. He's healthy. He's hitting the heck out of the ball. You know, I mean, I think obviously it looks like he's he potentially could be a long-term Cardinal. We got to get Donnie healthy. But if we do that, you know, our roster's fine. Our, our batting order, our line, I mean, you know, catcher, we got to figure out. We got to get better on defense. But if Donovan's healthy and Edmonds healthy, you know, theoretically, we have enough defense. Now, could you go out and sign, you know, a top-level shortstop? Sure you could. But that's Mason Wynn's position for the future, we think. So let's get him 100 at-bats or whatever it is between now and the rest of the season, 120, and and see how he's going to hit. Because we think he's going to be not only, you know, we, we know he's adequate defensively. We think he's going to be a good, solid big league defender maybe not a superstar but good but he's also we also think he can be a you know a, a, a core offensive player let's get him 100 at bats so like you said everything you said earlier is 100 percent right i mean i just I, that's how i see and you know we can kind of wrap up this if you want that's how i see the rest of this season playing out um, if you want to spend a couple, well, um, we're going to have to cut this for me because I'm going to have to go here in a few minutes. But uh, I think we got a lot here. I think it probably, you know, once you, you might have to add it a little bit. Anyway, that's what I, what do you think? What's your analysis? Because I, I mean, I've got, I've got bullet points on bullet points of stuff to talk about <laughs> that we could get into, <laughs> which we could do over the next uh, two, three, four, five, six weeks, something like that. So, uh, but I think well, this is good. Tonight, tonight we really only had two broad topics, yeah. and we hit them pretty hard. I think so. Uh, so yeah, I think this is a good place so to. I think it's a good place to leave it off. Uh, leave off here for now, and uh, we'll hop back in on the next episode. Maybe we'll get into a little bit of um, perspective and, and chat about what uh what it looks like after the trade deadline in terms of um what to expect from the returns uh from the trade uh trades that we had and kind of historically what that looks like from past trades that we have and yeah some of those stats you had are outstanding yeah that'll lead us nicely uh into kind of looking at what we do in the off season, even when we get into some trades and stuff then and yeah. how that, how that helps us look at those trades and what we should and shouldn't do, yeah. uh, how much of a risk we're actually taking. So, but I think, uh, that'll be a nice little teaser for the next episode and, uh, we'll kind of hop in, uh, from there, but, uh, I know you got to get out of here. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Uh, have a good night and let's see. I mean, I'm ready to go. I got I got plenty of content for future talk. So whenever you're ready to go again, let me know.